Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Hey everybody, this is Cliff. In this episode of Bigfoot and Beyond, Bobo and I speak to B Mills about the Sasquatch vocalizations that she's recorded over the last few years. To hear these vocalizations, go to B's SoundCloud account by clicking the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Starr, Cliff and Bobo. Well, so, B, uh, so uh, you've got a ton of audio recordings, and I imagine you have hours and hours and hours, if not days or weeks, of stuff to listen through, so who knows what you actually have. Um, uh, there have been photographs of one of the local Sasquatches from this location as well. Um, uh, George sent them to me. I, I know that uh, I know they exist, and they're not the best in the world, which is why they've probably never been published, but you can tell it's some sort of human-like thing walking through the snowfield uh, by that pond nearby in one of the neighbor's properties. Um, can you tell us about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. That was the winter of 2017, which was actually a very mild winter. It, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, snowfall. There wasn't a whole lot of cold. It was late. It was a late winter. Uh, when it did hit, oh, it was nasty, though. But that particular winter, there was one Bigfoot. And over the course of a few months, we had almost 10 people report seeing this. And they described them all the same. And in particular, the, how the photographs came about. It, it was by this one particular pond that seemed to be kind of a hot spot, which is not too far from the road and surrounded by a nice tract of woods and another adjacent pond and then a great big barren cornfield. Our our witness who was driving his son to school, his, I, his son even saw it. So when he was coming back, I had loaned him just because of all the reports that were coming in. I actually loaned him my super fancy DSLR. I think it was 80 to 300 millimeter lens because he had a camera. And so I loaned him my equipment, my camera equipment, and said, just keep just keep this with you just in case. Because he had tried taking photos with his cell phone because this wasn't the first incident during this time frame. So struck gold, got lucky. He actually had the camera in his truck, saw this, uh, you know, figure by the pond. It's in the teens. A snowstorm was actively coming in. And it was one of the big storms that winter. And he took, he shot 42 frames. And the amount of distance that this, and, and the photos, the distance was impressive. Uh, at most, it was a thousand yards, which is for a, even a decent lens. That's a pretty good distance. But uh, 
you actually see in this sequence of photos, you see the progression of how fast this uh, figure was walking. And it was walking because there are, I think, three frames where you actually see the separation uh, of a gate. You see a, a gate. You see two legs, you see arms, and you see the, you know, the core body mass. They're blurry enough that for something like that to go out to the public, I mean, it could be written off as a hunter, it could be written off as a person. Um, but based off the reports and off of this oral testimony for those photographs, uh, they are very, very interesting indeed. They're not the best pictures in the world, but they're better than anything I've gotten. And I do think that they're legit, you know? Well, what's interesting enough is, you know, of course, I got the phone call right after it happened. So I go over there and I immediately pull the card out. I'm a freelance photographer, I guess. I had a photo studio for a while. I apprenticed under a master, so I'm pretty comfortable going through photographs. And if you ever need something looked at and you think it's Photoshop, oh, I'll be happy to take a look at that, too. That's good to know. Just throwing that one out there. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. People would send me all sorts of photographs asking if that had been Photoshopped. And I can tell you in just a few minutes. So I pulled off the photographs and, and uploaded them onto the computer. And there they are. And the snow had hit. And so I went out the next day and it was freezing cold, but I wanted to go find tracks. I wanted to go see, I want, I, I went and I look like an absolute, I don't even know what I look like, a hot mess. How's that? I look like a hot oh. mess in a long trench coat with fur lined. There you go. <laughs> so I'm walking through this cornfield, this empty cornfield and, um, I'm looking at the photos, trying to go in the direction that, you know, that this figure was walking. And of course, I didn't find anything. The ground was frozen solid. But I see a gator way off in the distance and I see two people in it. I say, oh boy, here we go. I think I have permission to be here, but I'm not sure. I'm all by myself and I have, I'm equipped with a cell phone that likes to die when it's really cold. For, so. for people that don't know, a gator is like a, ATV, side-by-side, -side, like two-person yeah. off-road machine. Absolutely. So, it, yeah, it's kind of like one of those all-terrain vehicles. It's like a little, a mini car. And I wave at them like, hi, you know, and they're just very far away. And here they come. I'm like, oh, great. What, what am I going to make up for this one? So they pull up and it's two kids, you know, teenagers. They asked what I was doing, of course. And I said, oh, well. I heard there was a cat in the area. I was like, I wanted to see if I could find any, you know, cat things. <laughs> you know, right? How silly. It's the middle of winter. They were like, no, we haven't seen or heard about any cat in the area. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, have you seen anything else? You know, anything that just didn't fit or didn't look like it should be here? And they said, no. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, so what are you guys doing? So... <laughs> Right. And they said, Oh, this is our grandfather's property. I said, Oh, that's cool. I was like, I thought it was some random person's name I made up. And, and I, I'm so sorry. Am I trespassing? And I said, Oh, you're fine. I was like, oh, Okay, great. Thanks. I'll just, you know, go about my way. And uh, so we had some conversation for a minute. And 
come to find out that these kids like to hunt. So long story short, they actually, you know, like rodents, varmin, maybe, you know, far, uh, nuisance animals, I suppose you could call it. Uh-huh. And there was, they had a kill pile. They actually had a kill pile that they told me about that was in, and they pointed, and it was in the direction that this figure was walking. And I never told them about the figure, any of the photographs. I never said the word Bigfoot. Um, but when they pointed in the direction where they had their kill pile and knowing the, you know, what you saw with those photographs, that made perfect sense. And, and it kind of helped put the clues together to make, you know, the, the sightings that were coming in. And then, you know, my witnesses, uh, it's like all of a sudden it was like, an aha. Now, now, pardon me for a minute, but uh, I'm not I'm not a hunter. You know, I'm a fisherman and whatever else. But uh, a, a kill pile. If you're varmint hunting, I know you don't eat coyotes or something like that. Do do they kill them and then what? Skin them and then throw their corpse in a pile? Is that what I gather? What what is a what is a kill pile? No, they don't skin them. They oh, they don't skin them. They just throw the dead animals in a pile, huh? Normally. Oh my goodness! All right. Oh, I get it. I got coyotes in my yard, you know, and I don't want them dealing with my dog. So, I mean, I would understand somebody killing one of those things. Um, I'm just kind of surprised they don't utilize them for anything else. So, essentially, they they kill the varmints, they kill the problem animals, and they take the the bodies and throw them in one area. And that's what a kill pile is. And that's also where the Sasquatch was heading in those photographs. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of those situations when, uh, you know, like in Rhode Island on Finding Bigfoot, when we t- interviewed that guy whose name escapes me at the moment, where uh, he saw that Sasquatch at a place where, I guess, the local Department of Transportation throws roadkill. They gather up the, the bodies of roadkill and they dump them in one area off the side of the road. And Sasquatches are sometimes seen in those areas as well. So there's another pattern um, that's kind of similar to what you ran across. Right. I, well, you know... Food's scarce. There's not a whole lot of cover. I was just trying to put the pieces together. You know, why Why would this, if it is a big fight, you know, why would it take these kind of risks and what's keeping it here? Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And, you know, in the dead of winter, the meat is refrigerated, if not frozen. So it's perfect. Exactly. You don't have to worry about getting sick or, yeah. Have there been any other photographs in the area that you're aware of? There are rumors. But no one has released any of those to me. Well, right. now, of, of course, um, the most recent stuff, besides perhaps some vocalizations that you might have picked up in the last month or so, um, and the thing, in my opinion, which is the most exciting, um, even beyond the photographs, are the footprint casts. Uh, I, I, I had a chance to look at those. You brought them up to Michigan. Um, Dr. Meldrum and I spent some time with them and dug into them, and they're phenomenal. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners about those and how those came about? Honestly, it's been more of a quiet year as far as the vocals are, have gone. Um, and, and I have not really had the privilege of finding any tracks. For as much time as I've spent down there, you know, a few maybes, a questionable, uh, not sure. But this year, on April 24th, struck gold. And I'm so excited about this evidence that's come out. So um, a witness had gone, contacted one of the farmers about, it was morel season. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of time. He said, hey, 
do you have morels on your property still? I heard you talking about them years ago. I said, yeah, there used to be a patch over uh, along the stream, kind of at an intersection between fields and this um, nice tract of woods. He said, all right, great, went over there. And uh, I got a phone call that evening that said, hey, you need to come see this. Sent me a photo. And, and for the record, just while I'm at it, if you're going to take a photo of something you think's a footprint, would you please, please put some unit of measure with it? Because <laughs> the photograph itself, the initial one just wasn't that impressive. You know, it was just kind of muddy looking. It was right next to a stream. Uh, and I said, all right, fine. So went up there, grabbed some plaster and uh, found this single track. It, it really didn't look all that amazing until uh, later when we pulled it and washed it and cleaned it up. So poured that and just kind of looked around the area. And by this time, it's pitch black. It's nighttime. There's a thunderstorm coming in and the dark clouds are just making the sky even darker. There's just a tiny game trail at best back there. There's no paths, no roads not even any farm equipment back in this particular area. So we kind of, um, there was a little path that went up to the top side out of this creek area that was a field, like a bean field that hadn't been planted yet or tilled. And uh, we found something that looked like clearly toe impressions, but it was only a half a half a track because the soil up there was still hard uh, and, and crusty. It had been very dry. So um, went ahead and poured some leftover plaster in the toe area. When we cleaned it up on the later that, you know, the next day um, and uh, let it sit here, clean it up some more. We actually found what, seemed to look like in pre like ridges almost like some dramatic lithics inside of these toes on both the full track and the half track so took that as a total boon and uh, those are i i believe yeah i showed you those uh at the ohio bigfoot conference so um rather interesting so you know not much had gone on and then May 20th, there was actually two more footprints found in the creek bed behind uh, this gentleman's property. It was the same exact spot as the original print found during the initial site investigation. Now, that, that substrate was sand, so there was just not a whole lot of information to pull out of those. Um, but I did have a vocalization that night because I was there up all night. And I, I have that on audio. So that was pretty exciting. But then everything had been quiet the rest of May into June. July came. Not really a whole lot of activity going on. And then July 28th was a very interesting day. So this property owner, he has... Um, they have a raccoon population down there now, an impressive one. So he had, he and his son had put out some live traps and he was 
going out late one afternoon uh, on his quad and went to go check one of the traps, which was nearby a stream that led to a reservoir pond on his property and found footprints. So called me up and that turned into uh, seven hours of pouring plaster and documenting a 13 track cat 13 print track line which was very very incredible so where this uh started was uh, it ran parallel to this small stream and it's a year-round stream the water quality is amazing uh there's all sorts of you know crawdads in there little darters uh frogs galore uh it's spring fed um and it so but it ran parallel to the stream so there was a mix of you know sand some you know creek bed gravel and then the track line kind of went up an embankment and then it went into the woods because it's wooded on heavily wooded on one side and there was actually an amazing game trail that we followed there was a fell log climbed over the log well actually i went under it they went over it he and his wife were it turned into a family affair at this point so went over there and then we found two more tracks in mud just perfect mud poured all the plaster after documenting uh and photo documenting all of these and what became of that and also during this investigation um where the track line started where it first came out of this wood line and started following the creek there were three sets of deer tracks by this time the track line turned up to go into the wood line again there were only two sets of deer tracks so the mud the two mud tracks was a track track and then it looked like like a slide like two deep gouges in the mud we followed the game trail up to the property line the property line had three rows of wire and they were all barbed wire we were able to collect four hair samples four separate hair samples with multiple samples each from respective areas on this line let the cast sit overnight the next day we went and pulled them let them sit um pulled those and cleaned them off and the two wood the two wood line tracks that were in the mud were highly suspicious once again for these dermal ridges which was just absolutely fascinating um and then as as if lightning couldn't strike one more time just a few days later on July 31st down there because it I mean the the area just felt hot if that makes sense went back down there poking around found one more track just in mud and it was just incredible poured that as well and that was from the same trackway left that same day or do you think it's a different thing well it was the track line was from July 28th and then this solo guy was on July 31st. 
but but it was the same. You think it was the same trackway, like laid down at the same time and just discovered later, or do you think the thing was in the neighborhood and maybe laid a different trackway and and you know it was discovered? I I really think it was a, a separate event because it was so okay. fresh. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, let that sit, cleaned it you know, a whole nine yards. So uh, now all of a sudden I have all of these plaster casts and what do you do with a mess of plaster casts? I have 13, a track line, one and a half from uh, April. And now I have a single from July 31st and I'm looking at all of these and trying to put all these clues together. And I noticed the muddy, the mud ones all had riches on them. And they were all the same foot. So I was so excited for the the UP conference up in Michigan in August to bring those up and have you and Dr. Meldrum take a look at these just for your opinion and, and you know, given your expertise and, you know, your experience, you know, get that unbiased, you know, What's going on? What am I looking at? Help me out. And I was just blown away. Didn't you call Cliff when you found him? Give you advice to cast? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Ohio substrate is not exactly the best. We And and this particular area, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of sand. There's a lot of sand. And honestly, I don't have a whole lot of experience casting in sand and I know kind of up where you are, Cliff, and especially, you know, if the London trackway wasn't a hardcore, you know, getting a, you know, college credit and casting in sand, I don't know what is. So I, yeah, I reach out to you as <laughs> for pointers and advice. Well, yeah, and I certainly don't mind. I tell everybody, even people I don't know and like, and of course you're my friend, so you fall into categories that I I know you and I like you. So, but I tell people I don't know and and like, or don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always happy to give my two cents on anything you bring to me. Although sometimes I realize it may only be worth one. My concern was I did not, you don't get a second shot. I really just wanted to make sure I could do the absolute best job. I could get as much data out of, you know, what has, is laying on the ground right in front of me and and be able to be use the best scientific method for it, it i guess just just to collect that data because that that may yeah. not ever happen again it's horrifying like and, and if, unless you have some experience, it really is, you know, unless you have some experience and you've been out there and you've been tracking or casting human tracks or uh, casting bear tracks or, you know, other interesting things you find in the ground and you're faced with a potentially real Sasquatch footprint and you've never done it before. It's a horrifying situation because if you blow it, that's the only chance you get. If you don't mix it right, you're screwed. If you don't bring that cast back, you're going to get heckled. Like it's just horrible. And, um, yeah, that's why I recommend to everybody practice, practice, practice. You see a nice clean bear print, cast that thing, man. Uh, worst case scenario, you screw up. Best case scenario, you got a cool bear track and some practice when that Bigfoot one comes your way. Amen. Absolutely. So yeah, terrifying would be a good, a good word for that because yeah. I'm, especially for a, a I mean, it, for researchers or investigators or, or even, you know, just 
you average folk out there, you know, it's like, you, you know, I, I, I really didn't want to screw it up. And even with the, you know, collecting the hair samples, you know, it, all of my nursing skills and, you know, surgery and, and this, that, and the other, and using sterile technique. And it's like, like get out of my way (laughs) don't screw this up I didn't want anything contaminated so you know that way at the end of the day after all of this is done and the adrenaline rush was over I could sit back and say 100% this was not contaminated and I did the absolute best I could have you had a chance to give the um, hair samples to anybody for analysis yet they are with a professor at a university fantastic Excellent. Yep. Still waiting on the results from that, but um, I'm pretty excited. Absolutely. Physical evidence and and everybody should be excited about physical evidence. And um, yeah, and the footprints, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll weigh in on the footprints a little bit. You brought actually, you brought this set out and also you brought a couple others from your collection as well. And um, those proved to be human, which I think is interesting. Um, just just for anybody out there listening who thinks that, uh, oh, you know, Cliff and Meldrum, they're going to say anything's Bigfoot or something like that. No, no, no. Some of the stuff that you showed us turned out to be human. It, they were interesting. They, I can see why you cast them because when in doubt, you should cast whatever it is um, and just see what it is because number one, it might be Bigfoot. Number two, you get practice. Um, but the the set that you're referencing right now, they're fantastic. They're messy. Each one of them's different. Um, the toes are in slightly different positions. The, the fat pads on the bottom of the feet are compressed different in every single one. They are uh, they have lots and lots of patches of dermatic lithics, which are uh, skin ridge detail, like fingerprints on the bottom of the foot. And um, and I, it's a little early to say it because I don't have a, I don't have a set of these or anything. So I've only looked at them for about, you know, 20 or about 45 minutes, maybe about 40 minutes, um, you know, on the back of a, uh, back of a car on the streets of Minnesota some, or uh, Michigan rather somewhere. Um, but I believe that these show repeated dramatic lithic patterns from one foot to the next. Now, there's been several situations where uh, dramatic lithics have been found on Sasquatch footprint casts. Um, but to my knowledge, um, and I, I specifically asked this of Dr. Meldrum um, maybe about two or three years ago when I was in his lab visiting in Idaho, um, I specifically asked Jeff, like, Jeff, has there ever been a case where one cast shows the same dramatic lithic pattern as the next cast of the same foot at the same location? And at that time, he said no. But I believe these do that specifically on the digits themselves on the toes. Um, I, I think we found patterns from one foot to the next on the same toe that show the same swirl or ridge or whatever pattern. I don't have the language for it, but I, my eyes could see the patterns. So, um, I think you got that. I think you got another historic Bigfoot first B. Um, it's mind blowing. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It is super significant. Um, it may not prove the species, but I'll tell you what, Dr. Krantz, Dr. Grover Krantz in his book was chasing, oh, when he was alive, he was chasing down the dermatoglyphic stuff because it was his hope that perhaps by showing these to enough experts and for them weighing in, dermatoglyphics themselves might be enough to prove the species without taking a type specimen. In other words, without killing one of these animals to prove they're real. And so... I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's at the end, it's probably going to take a body no matter what, but that's how important this kind of evidence is. And I, and you have come back with the evidence for the first time ever in all Bigfoot history, 
hopefully, this is a preliminary assessment, that we have repeated dramatic lifics on the same part of the foot in two consecutive casts. Um, that should not be the case unless it's a real animal right there running through the mud. And um, I think that these casts show that. Good job, B. I'm so excited. That's really going to, that's going to just give a reality slap in the face to a lot of, you know, people maybe on the fence or just straight skeptics that know what they're talking, you know, people that are involved in that field, like podiatrists or, you know, dramatic lyrics experts, like, you know, FBI guys that do fingerprinting and stuff like that. So the people that really know that stuff, that is significant. If, if my preliminary assessment is true, it's going to be a very significant discovery and, and I cannot wait to see what comes of it. So, yeah. Oh, and just to spin off that, that's the next step in my book. As far as this, what to do, what to do. And, and so my next phase of trying to just pull more evidence out is to lift prints off of these feet, the same foot, four separate, and try to get a match and try to actually have a profile, create a profile card to see if truly that is the same individual. So that, that would be the ultimate plan. Do you have any other plans for the next, you know, six months or a year or something like that as far as your research goes, uh, where you want to take it or are you going to save par for the course and just keep going the same direction and see what comes up or um, what other sort of things can we look forward to hearing from you about? Oh, are you ready for this? <laughs> Perhaps. Got bells on my shoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that's like a that's a Tuesday for you, Bubs. <laughs> So there's that always that question. Well, where does where does it go? Where do they go? They show up and then they leave. So where do they go? So uh, actually, um, Mark DeWorth and I have um, reached out and we have uh, a few other investigators and we have recorders and all over the southern half of the state, the extreme southern, the eastern, east central part of the state. And just as of a few weeks ago, we have started getting vocalizations out of these different areas, which is super exciting. So in addition to the and and these, you know, audio pieces were sent out uh, and embedded with, you know, their analysis and brought back to us, you know, to learn from, but forward thinking, future thinking is if we could create some sort of, uh, at least a preliminary database of these vocalizations, just to see if there are, you know, any, any more information we can pull out, any data points there. What I would like to find out is if these vocalizers in these different areas that we're able to capture, or even, you know, if you're even someone out hiking just happens to hear something and hit record on their cell phone, have some form of a platform to pull this information into and learn from and see if these vocalizers are the same. So you're confident you can distinguish, like there's a vocal register, like you can see the 
individuals by their calls on the spectrograph? I think it's plausible. And I'm willing yeah, you know, to investigate it. Absolutely. Yeah, because think about it. It never really occurred to me, Bo, because, you know, I'm interested in the same thing, tracking individuals over time, right? But I'm doing it by footprint cast evidence. But thinking about it, I don't see why it couldn't be possible with vocalizations. I mean, think about when, I, like, out at Finding Bigfoot, you know, like we're out in the middle of God knows where, and suddenly we hear a vocalization. You know, nine times out of 10, we can go, oh, that's Moneymaker, or that's Renee, or that, you know, that's, or that's a Sasquatch. We can identify each other oh. by the sounds. So if they, if, and she has such a database now of these four Sasquatches, um, it might very well be possible. I think the problem would be is you never actually get them on videos showing which one's actually making the sound. You know what I mean? There is that. But even, but it's a good like first step. Oh yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just, that'd be, uh, that'd be the biggest challenge of course. Well, you know what, that, but that can be overcome with diligent research because maybe there's a quirk, maybe there's a specific wobble at a certain kind of a vocalization, maybe there's a certain signature somehow hidden in that sound data, but what if there's footprint, founds in, footprint finds in the area, or footprints found in the area, and uh, by looking at them, you can, we can probably figure out if they're the same animals or not. I mean, look at Tom Shea's evidence or the Blue Mountain evidence. We can identify individual animals. So, but again, it, it all, it's all going to depend on amateur researchers like us who are going out there and diligently trying to bring back more than stories. Yeah. I mean, speaking of diligence, be what you're, how many months behind? I mean, you put a ton of time into reviewing the audio and how far are you behind on that? I'd rather not say. It's not, a sound, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's just, I mean, even with your dedication, that, I think that's the problem is that. There's not many people willing to put in the hundreds and hundreds of hours of scanning this audio to, you know, what what, what it would take to, for this to be a, a successful project. Well, I will say, it, you know, it, it is very time consuming. And most of my Friday nights are, I'm, I'm you know, I'm boring. I, those, those are the kinds of things I do is sit at home and listen to audio. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, that there has been, I, I am confident that there is a pattern, at least on this property in my experience, with these vocalizations. And the pattern seems to be when fall comes and the leaves are off the trees, the fields are plowed, and it's usually, there seems to be even a moon phase that's involved in this pattern. And traditionally, over these last few years, the last moon in November is about the time when almost all the audio ceases, all the vocalizations just kind of stop. And then they seem and, to and pick what, back what up. Is that co what does that coincide with, though? What, why then? Well, my theory, my theory has to do with there's not a whole lot of cover. There, there are still deer in the area. There's a plethora of deer in the area. Um, but it, it, there's just not as much cover in the area and as far as resources and, and you know trying to maintain your caloric intake there's not the plants aren't around as much and to be quite honest the tract of land while it probably is a few thousand acres that's central to this particular property 
their reports further south where there are, you know, wintertime uh, off-season, I guess, uh, vocals. So trying to get, you know, audio equipment, recording equipment into those areas during the different seasons where there are much bigger tracks of, you know, there's when you get those kinds of areas like the southern and the eastern, the east central part of the state of Ohio, uh, it, there's a lot more cover. There, there's state forests, there's a national forest, there's a lot more parks, preserves, and the terrain is a lot more intense. So I think as far as, you know, the food goes, the cover goes, the, and having, you know, these recessed caves all over the place uh, and the more rural countryside where there's there are those abandoned barns, there's sheds, I mean, it's nothing to go out hiking and you just find an old wrecked home in the middle of nowhere. Um, I think that there's more opportunity to be successful because the winters here can be pretty extreme. So, but it's following up and trying to trying to find those locations and be able to get evidence out of there because I, I don't think they just disappear, but I think that they do go somewhere. So it's trying to trying to follow that that pattern. Yeah, just trying to discover the pattern, really. Right. It's a daunting task, but it seems that you enjoy it. <laughs> It's like when I was a little kid reading those mystery books. You know, you have to go find the clues and and put the puzzle pieces together. So I, I do. I love it. I really do. And and I'd be outside anyways, hiking or taking photos or, you know, just breathing some good air. So why not? <laughs> well, fantastic, B. Fantastic. Yeah, B, I'll be seeing you in uh, two weeks at the Hawking Hills Bigfoot Conference you put on. That's a pretty cool event. You guys do it for charity. Can you tell us about that? Oh, absolutely. And we have it at the uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters Camp, which is called Camp Odiaqua. It's one of two in the entire country. And they have year-round programs for children that include not only summer camp, but uh, crisis camps. They have uh, an, an incredible amount of caring support staff and I've met so many wonderful people who were big brothers and big sisters. And it, they do a lot of their work through volunteer efforts. And camp is expensive. So uh, over the time frame that we've, you know, had the Hawking Hills Bigfoot Conference, we have donated over $10,000 to their camper scholarship fund. And even just last year, we contributed to helping over 700 kids be able to experience the outdoors. Bigfoot is a wonderful platform for it, then so be it. And plus, we get to have a really great time. So even though it's a smaller event, it's a really fun, fun and exciting, absolutely wonderful learning experience. And I, I really like having the local naturalists and the park staff come and talk about the area as well as, you know, our amazing Bigfoot investigators and researchers. So I am so excited that you're coming and Cliff, thank you so much for speaking um, in the previous year. So always happy to help, always happy to help. And I love the big brother, big sister program. I've done a couple events around Portland actually with that same organization 
Um, and I think I've spoken now twice at at Hawking Hills. It's a great event. You know, what, what is it like a max is out at maybe a hundred people or so probably maximum, I think. Um, and it's like going back to camp for myself as well, you know, going back to the commissary and, you know, you eat lunch and breakfast and dinner with everybody. And it's a small venue and you really get to know some people. Um, and you know, last time I was there, um, Melissa and I were at, we're walking back to the, to the cabin after the campfire, you know, hanging out, drinking some beers with some good people and good conversation. And, um, we were back near the, uh, the cabin where, where you guys were so gracious to put us up. And we heard something in the brush um, off the other side, maybe about 60 yards away from us, like making some little bit of crashing noises. Not really crashing, but something going through the brush. And we're listening and listening, and it's dark, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, 1.32. And uh, and all of a sudden, something, that same thing, whatever it is, goes at us. Like, holy crap, I know what that is. We actually heard a Sasquatch from not very far away um, at the Hawking Hills Bigfoot Festival. Um, and it was, of course, way far away from where everybody else was. There was nobody else around there. And we're completely confident that it was a Sasquatch at this point. So um, it is a great venue to be uh, speaking at because the people are great. The venue is great. The cause is great. And there's Bigfoots right there. Yes. Yeah, you're stoked, it's- Bob. So uh, unfortunately, this this episode comes out while you're going to be there. You know, so people who are listening at home um, who want to go, well, too bad. You got to sign up for next year. And you know what? It's sold out anyway. So you got to go next year anyway. But um, yeah, so I can't wait to hear about what you experience at the event as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't wait. I mean, if you can hear something right where you're, if you're having a squash conference and you can hear one at the conference site, you can't beat that. It's a prime spot. It really is. That's yeah, never happened to me. Yeah, and it's for those people who are listening thinking, Bigfoot in Ohio, really? Oh, yeah, man, Southeast Ohio, specifically Hawking Hills, you're in the middle of nowhere. It's pretty awesome. I'd rather be nowhere than somewhere any day or any oh, night. You know what? I did hear a Bigfoot where there was a conference, but it wasn't at the same time. It wasn't during the conference. When we were filming at Salt Fork State Park, Tyler and I heard on my solo camp, we heard Bigfoots in two locations at Salt Fork, and then that's also in Ohio, not far away. Well, great, B. We really appreciate you showing up on and uh, doing that with us tonight. Can I throw a couple of pictures of the footprint cast that I took up on there too, or do you want to keep those secret for now? Oh no, no. She I sent think, those already. I think. I think you just blow it up. Okay. Oh, she already she already sent you some bobs. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Let's let's get you, let's get you out there because uh, you're an unsung hero of Bigfoot. Um, and really most of my heroes in Bigfoot land are unsung, you know, whether it's you or Tom Shea or any number of people that don't seek publicity, don't seek, um, any attention whatsoever or anything like that. Um, you're doing, you're doing God's work, you know, so appreciate that. Well, thank you. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge, right? Yeah. We're just spinning our wheels till we die. Might as well have some fun with it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it, sir. I appreciate it. All right, B. Thanks for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, have a great night, you guys. Good night. All right. So there you have it, man. I mean, she is great. I really do think she's the bee's knees, so to speak, in more ways huh. than one. 
because uh, like her research stands on its own and speaks for itself. And most people don't even know what she's up to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's under the radar, which is great. And we don't got to worry about that place getting overrun with people either. Like if it leaks out where it is, because crazy George with his arsenal will be there to meet you. If you try to trespass on that property. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, knowing George, that would be the last place I would try to get on. Um, because it would literally be the last place you ever try to get on. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he would just bury you out in the hollow somewhere and you'd never know. Then no, nobody would ever know what happened to you. No one would ever find you, you know, it, it, like, yeah, that, that is not a place to go mucking around, um, and trespassing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be like, staying, I'm going to be staying, I'm going to be staying with George there a couple nights and I actually am bringing wild bill from mountain monsters with me. So George is going to be just <laughs> I think he's going to get out George by wild bill. Oh my God. Can you please videotape some of that for me? Oh, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of guys that can out George George, but wild bill would be one of them. Holy yeah. yeah. Right I'd on. love to have wild bill on, on, on an episode, but like, I mean, how, how do you do that? You know, he'd be hard to understand. I think a lot, a lot of it. There'd be a lot of yelling. Yeah. It'd be a lot. He'd like peek out of the, the, you know, the, You'd peek out the, the the volume of the recording the entire time, and <laughs> he's rad though, man. Oh, we we got to awesome. get him on, or maybe it's just a ten minute thing with him or something. Yeah, I used to I used to badmouth not monsters just because I'd be so uh, I'd be like, God, these people keep writing to me saying you guys don't know what you're doing. You got to be like mountain monsters. They see one every week, and I was like, they're not seeing one every week. You know, and I'd talk smack on the show, but after hanging with those guys, those guys are so. Freaking, uh, they're the real deal. Yeah, they're like the professional wrestling of Bigfoot in a way, because professional yeah. wrestlers are are legitimate athletes, and they're really doing moves. And they're and yeah, there's some. I guess I don't know how they produce the show. If it's story driven, I mean, obviously story driven, but um, but those guys, after hanging out with them, I'm not so sure they're faking. I just think they might be weird and eccentric and over the top. And but I'll tell you what, man, they are some of the nicest people you would ever run across and whatever the show is or whatever the show isn't who cares because everybody who shows up to their booth at an event when they're doing an appearance is treated like royalty. Every child that comes into that booth gets individual attention and nothing but smiles and encouragement. Those are some of the kindest hearted people I've ever met in my life. And the world needs more people like that and more researchers like B I might add just to get back to the topic at hand here. Um, she's in a great spot. She's got cooperation with, uh, the, the, the property owners. She's out there trying to bring back evidence of various sorts. Um, and it's ongoing. It's not going to stop. I mean, I don't think George is going to move anywhere and I don't think B's going anywhere. So I think that, uh, we've got a great situation to keep checking back in on every once in a while. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to see what B is. I mean, that area is good. That area will keep producing. That's for sure. Yeah. No. All right. Well, very good, Bobes. It's nice to get back together with you. I'm sorry to everybody listening that we missed out on last week's episode, but you know, between Bobo's and my schedule traveling around the country, doing these talks, it just was not possible to get together for that episode, but we're back on track, you know, and uh, schedule willing. We'll keep on producing every single week. So bear with us and keep coming back, subscribe wherever you can be sure to check out the YouTube channel for visuals and um, keep listening to the podcast. So thank you, everybody. We sure appreciate your uh, patronage and listenership. Yep. Thanks everybody. Until next week, keep it squatchy.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.